The text for this morning's service is taken from Job 1, second last verse, verse 21, and then the last part of that first, the second part of that first, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And of course, we will also deal with the rest of the chapter, but that's where the concentration will be on, on that verse. After the sermon, we will sing together from Psalm 73 to stanzas 1, 8, and 9. Brothers and sisters, beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, at the end of each fiscal year, many businesses and organizations take stock. They take inventory of what they have bought and sold in the last year, how much there is left, and how much profit they have made. We also do that with our personal finances. Every year we have to file our income tax return, which requires us to look at our income and our expenditures. If we have managed to stay out of the red, then financially speaking, we've had a successful year. It's not difficult to make such an evaluation. If we have kept the books properly throughout the year, it is just a matter of adding and subtracting and come to that final figure which gives you the bottom line. It is easy enough to take stock of your financial holdings. But what, what about taking stock of your personal lives? How do you evaluate that? What are the pluses and the minuses of your own life? That's not easy to determine. It's hard to determine that bottom line. What are the things that make you rich? And what are the things that make you poor? And therefore, when it comes to our personal bookkeeping, we are not as adept. There are so many things that come into the equation. And we all measure with different sticks. What's important to the one is not as important to the other. And people are also blessed in different ways. The one will look back on his own life and conclude that his or her life so far has been a success. I've been able to accomplish what I set out to accomplish so far, and then some. My reputation is sound. With my family and friends, I have money in the bank. God has blessed me with children and grandchildren, perhaps. And when I add it all up, I can say that things have gone rather well. The pluses outweigh the minuses of life. To God be the praise. There are others, however, who would not be able to paint such a rosy picture of their personal lives. They're poor. They're struggling. And maybe many reasons for that it can be because of illness or misfortune. It can be because they lack certain skills or ability. Or it can be that something happened to them over which they had little or no control. People in those kinds of circumstances do not have the same kinds of things to boast about as the others. How would you evaluate such a life? What is the bottom life, line in such a life? Is this a life of success? or a failure? How do you decide? Well, that's the dilemma for every man and every woman. We must take stock of our lives. 
But how do we do that? That's what I will preach to you about. It is about the evaluation of, Job, of Job's life and our own lives. And then we'll look at three things. First, Job's credit. And then secondly, Job's debits. And then finally, the bottom line. The book of Job begins by telling us that Job was blameless and upright, that he feared God and that he shunned evil. And so at the very beginning of the book, we already know what God's evaluation of Job is. God has taken a look at his bottom line and says, this child of mine is precious in my sight. He has done exactly what I expect of him. He serves me with all his heart, and he is not found wanting. Now, this may sound somewhat strange in our ears. It seems almost as if Job was a man without sin. And from the King James Version, you would especially think that. And there it says that he was perfect and upright. We know, however, that that cannot be the case. Job could not be a man without sin. There is no such person, except, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. What then does this mean? Well, this is in reference to the relationship he has with God. God reckons him to be blameless and perfect. That is God's gift to him. But how did that happen? When are you considered blameless? Only through the grace of God. Blamelessness is only for those who realize their sin and who constantly ask the Lord forgiveness for their sins. It is for those who humble themselves before God, who go to God with empty hands and ask him to fill them. And when you do that, and then you can also consider that God will consider you to be blameless, for he forgives you your sins. And that was the case with Job. He's blameless. He's also upright. And the Bible uses that particular word that refers to someone or something that is absolutely straight. When someone is called upright, he's a person who walks a straight line. He is straight in his conduct. There's no hypocrisy. There's no duplicity in him. Such a person doesn't say one thing to the one person and something else to another. He doesn't plot or scheme behind other people's backs. No, he is a man of integrity. He is honest and reliable. And it says that he also feared God and shunned evil. That means that he knows what it is to be accountable to God. He tried to reflect that in his life. And he tried to reflect that he is an image bearer of God. That's what is said about Job. And these words are written by the Holy Spirit. That is how God evaluated Job. I'm sure the book of Job also had a human author. But the human author was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these things. And to make that kind of judgment about Job. Now you will agree that this is quite an assessment. It makes us look at Job and stand in amazement of him. God thinks quite highly of him. Would he say something like that about me, about you, about any of us? Would he be able to say that? 
what is the bottom line in our lives as far as God is concerned? Well, we'll deal with the bottom line in the third point. For we are not yet finished with the regretted side of Job's ledger. We read that Job was also a very rich man materially. God had blessed him greatly. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. And he had a large number of servants. He was a rich man. It says even about him that he was the greatest man among the, all the people of the East. Furthermore, he had also seven sons and three daughters. It would be safe to assume that they also had their own families and children. And so Job and his wife were also grandparents. Children and grandchildren are tremendously rich blessings. As it says in Psalm 127, Sons are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from him. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. And what's more, it appears that his children also got along quite well. For they were in the habit of meeting regularly together. That also speaks well of Job. It takes wisdom and insight into God's word. It takes good parental skills to teach your children to get along with one another, to respect each other, not to be jealous of each other, and to be able to forgive each other their sins. Only a good and godly example of the parents can bring such harmony in the family. We're also told that Job would be in the habit of making sacrifices for his children, thinking that perhaps his children had sinned, and in this way cursed God in their hearts. The book of Job was before the Aaronic priesthood had been established. And during those days, the father of the household would act as a priest in the family. And that's also what Job did. It's not that his children were deliberately sinning against God. There's no indication of that. But Job wanted to keep his children in a right relationship with God. And so he habitually intercedes for them. That's what all godly parents do. They pray for their children. And they present their names before the throne of God. And so we see that Job had many blessings. He had a great family. He had much property. And that's how the Bible describes him. If you were to talk about Job, then you would immediately have that picture of him in your mind. For you cannot divorce the man from the things that belong to him. We don't do that either, nor does the Bible. Our identity is very much tied to the kinds of things that belong to us. People do not see us apart from our possessions. When you mention a certain person's name, then you think right away about the things that belong to him, his wife, his children, his car, his house, his business, or his farm. And these are the kinds of things that define him or her. And now Job had many possessions. But then suddenly, God takes it all away. We come to the second point. Job doesn't know why. He doesn't know the conversation that took place in heaven when Satan came before God, and where these things were decided beforehand. He is blissfully ignorant of those things. And so what happens to him hits him like a ton of bricks. It's totally unexpected. It is a great disaster. 
Some commentators state that this can be compared to a bombardment. Airplanes suddenly appear on the scene and rain and rain down their bombs one after the other, doing tremendous damage, and there is no let up until everything is destroyed. All gone. That's what happens here. So look at what we're told. One messenger after, after the other tells him of the great disasters that have come upon him. The first messenger came to Job and tells him that the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and then the Sabaeans attacked and carried them off. And they put all the servants to the sword. Horrible. And while that servant is still speaking, another messenger came and told Job that a fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and his servants. Everything was destroyed. And while that servant is still speaking, yet another messenger came and told him that the Chaldeans were, had formed three raiding parties and swept down upon Job, Job's camels and carried them all off. And they too put all the servants to the sword. Just like that. All his material possessions are taken away from him. He has nothing left except his family. But then also his family is taken away from him. All his children are killed in one fell swoop. While they were celebrating in the oldest brother's house, a tornado struck the house and the walls collapsed upon them, killing them all. To lose your wealth is one thing, but to lose your family, that's another thing altogether. And think about what a tremendous blow this was for Job. We know about the conversation in heaven, and we know the end of the story. We know that in the end, Job regains most of the things that he has lost, and then some. We have a complete picture. Job didn't know any of this. Can you imagine what that would have been like for him? Can you imagine the kinds of things that would have gone through his mind? Can you imagine if something like that were to happen to you or to me? Oh, sure, disasters happen in our lives, but they don't just all happen at once. But with Job, everything came down all at once. His whole world collapsed. Everything that was dear and near to him was gone. What do you do in a time like that? Think about that for a moment. What kind of emotions would well up in you at a time like that. Wouldn't you be angry, confused, profoundly dismayed? What would you say? What would you do? It's hard to know exactly how we would react. But we know what Job did. We read that Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head, and then fell on the ground to worship. He did these things in accordance with the customs of those days. The tearing of the robe and the shaving of the head indicated deep and profound mourning. He also threw himself to the ground. As the text says, this was a form of worship. For by throwing yourself to the ground, you indicate submission and humility. Job puts himself completely at the disposal of God. His actions speak volumes. But the words that he speaks are even more significant. For what does he say? He says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. 
after all this, that is the conclusion that he came to. Third point. That's the bottom line. Note well that Job doesn't give any kind of complaint. He does not bitterly condemn what has happened to him. That's not his first reaction. There's no anger or bitterness in his word, in his words. He does not say anything about the devil or his agents who have done these things to him. He doesn't say any of those things. Instead, he speaks about the Lord his God. Now, is that not remarkable? You might say, would I do that? Would I be able to do that under those circumstances? Well, brothers and sisters, don't think that Job gave that answer just out of the blue. No, it came out of a life of faithful living. It came out of a life fully trusting in God. For you see, Job had lived all his life knowing that everything that he has belongs to the Lord his God. During his whole life, he had treated his possessions not as something that belonged to him in the first place, but that belonged to the Lord his God. He knew that. He conducted his whole life as someone who knew himself to be, to be responsible for the things that God had given him. He knew himself merely to be a steward of all those things. And that is why he was also a man of integrity. When Job did business, he was keenly aware that God was watching him. He knew that God was watching over him to see how he would deal with all that God had entrusted to him, with his material possessions, as well as his own family. And of course, as I said earlier, he wasn't perfect in all this. Job was a sinful man, there's no doubt about that. But these are the kinds of things he strove for in his life. And it is for that reason that Job reacted in the way that he did, for he knew all those things were not mine to start with. And they are the Lord's. Oh, sure, that does not mean that Job did not have a struggle having to give it all up. He certainly did. It's also clear later on. In chapter 3, he even curses the day of his birth. And in chapter 9, verse 28, and following, he chides God for treating him unjustly. He even accuses God of putting him into a slimy pit. He also bemoans the fact that God is far off, that he cannot confront him. He says, who is going to arbitrate between us? Nevertheless, as the tragedy comes upon him, Job acknowledges that God gives, but he also takes away. That's God's right. Job knows that he does not have the right to his possessions. And it is in that knowledge, brothers and sisters, that he has lived all his life as a sinful man. He realizes that he deserves Nothing less than death. And that, brothers and sisters, is how every believer should assess his own life. That is the conclusion that each and every one of us must also come to. And so let me ask you, is that indeed the conclusion that you come to in your own life? 
think about it. See, not everybody does. They treat their possessions as if they're totally their own. As if that is something, well, I've worked for it, and uh, so it belongs to me. And they also think that about their own families. These are my kids, and even if they sin and keep on sinning, doesn't matter, they belong to me, I'll excuse them. And so, ask yourself, do you treat your possessions in that way? As if they're just yours? Is that how you treat your wife, your husband, or your children, or your parents? Brothers and sisters, these things, even our children, they are not ours. They belong to God in the first place. And that is why we also have our children baptized. They belong to God. We may take care of them. We may take care of all the things that God gives us. And we have to treat those things as such. And God holds you responsible how you, can, how you conduct yourself with the possessions that he has given you. Also, your material possessions. Do you think you have a right to them? That you have earned it? And therefore, because you're more clever than others, that that's why or you're a better saver or a better manager. And so I deserve these things, and it's all mine. Is that how you see it? Oh, sure, you might not say so. But what about your actions? How do you treat your possessions? For if that is the case with you, if you think that they belong first of all to you, then you are not using what God gives you to his glory. And that's what he wants you to do with everything that he gives you. If you think that your possessions are your own, then you're not a person of integrity. You can't be. For then you don't focus on God. At least not first of all. But then you are focused on yourself and the things that you have acquired. And if that's how you think, then the small amount you give to the church or to the school, you will give grudgingly or not at all. And then you'll try to get as much out of your employees or out of your business partners or your creditors or anyone you do business with as much as you can. And if you think you can get away with it, you'll cheat on your income taxes. Your focus is mainly on what you can get out of this life. That's also how you treat your wife and your children or your husband. But if that is the case, then you have to repent, brother or sister. Job was a good steward of the things that God had given to him. Oh, sure, Job had to work very hard to get where he was. He had abilities, skills, and resources that others may not have had. And he used all those things in order to acquire his possessions. But at bottom he knew, and that is so clear from his answer, that God is the one who gave him those blessings. He reflected on that every day in his life, and he prayed about that. That is how his mind worked. In that knowledge he lived his whole life. And that is why Job could react in the way that he did. He said, the Lord gave. And because the Lord gave, he can also take it all away. That was his confession, not just at that moment, but that was his confession throughout his whole life. If disaster all of a sudden comes upon you, brother or sister, then how you respond depends on how you 
evaluate your life right now. Job saw everything he had in relationship to the Lord his God. He knew what a faithful, what a compassionate, what a wonderful God he had. And that's why he also uses the word Lord. It's in capital letters in our text. And that's because in the Hebrew, the name Yahweh is used, which is God's covenant name. Job knows his God to be the God of the promise, who never turns his back on his children. Job knew that the riches that he has here on earth meant nothing compared to the riches that he has with the Lord his God. And so even though his whole world around him was falling apart, he calls upon the Lord. And that, beloved, is something you can and must do as well. At some time it may happen to you, to me, that your whole world is going to fall apart. You just, you lose just about everything that's near and dear to you. Or it may be that you suffer from some kind of deep depression. Some people have that. And when you're terribly depressed, may you think that you don't have a friend in the world. Whatever possessions you do have don't mean anything to you. It's like living in a black hole. And uh, you do not feel any different than Job does at this moment. What do you do at times like that when everything around you is gone? Well, then you have to do as Job did. Now you call upon the Lord your God in the midst of all that darkness, and you have to see the great light of God. And that is what everyone must do when something terrible happens in your life. You must do that when a loved one has been taken away from you. You must do that when your business fails, when you're close to bankruptcy. You must do that when your friends misunderstand you and do not appreciate you. You must do that when you think you have no friends. Also you, young people, you have to learn to do that, to bring it before the Lord. Also, when your friends leave you in the lurch, we disappoint one another so often. And you can do that too. Job is still looking forward to his Redeemer. At one time, he cries out in his despair, I know that my Redeemer lives. What a great statement of faith. But now we can do much more than that, brothers and sisters, for in the meantime, that great Redeemer did come. And look what an example he was to you and to me. All the glory he had with the Father, he cast it aside. He emptied himself of all the glory that he had with the Father, and he became poor. He allowed everything that he had to be taken away from him, even his relationship with his Father in heaven. For in the end, his Father even forsook him. Do you know why that happened? The Son of God allowed that to happen so that he would never have to do that to any of us. So that in the midst of darkness, we can call upon the name of the Lord our God. And he will never abandon us. So how do you evaluate your life? What's the bottom line? What's the conclusion you come to? Well, 
you must come to the same conclusion as Job did. He said, may the name of the Lord be praised. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, that's why we are on this earth. We are here to praise God's wonderful name. That is the chief end of man, as the Westminster Confession says. We are to praise God's name with every fiber of our being. We have to praise God's name with everything we have. Why? Because God is the one who bestows us with his blessings. He blesses here on this earth with material blessings. And what is most important, he blesses us with spiritual blessings. And those are gifts that last forever. And that is the conclusion you must come to as you balance the book of your lives. God has made me rich. There are no debits in my account. Whatever debits I do have, have been paid by the Son of God. And that's not all. He also fills up my bank account with nothing but credits. All I have to do is to believe that. And it is mine. And no one can take that away from me. Not even Satan himself. It is, in reality, not so hard to come to the bottom line of the value of your life. The total value of your life is found with God and with God alone. In God's eyes, all those who belong to him are extremely rich. There are no poor people in God's kingdom. Is that also your bottom line as you add up the debits and the credits of your life? Does it all add up to the riches with your God in heaven? And does that show in your life? Think about that, brothers and sisters. Amen.